You're listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast, your place for life-changing messages that will build your faith and propel your life. If you enjoyed today's message, why don't you be a blessing and share it with a friend? The title for this morning, now gentlemen, you are not exempt from this because it equally applies to every one of you, but it is really a shout out to the ladies. This morning is a shout out to the ladies, but it applies every wit to the men here. All right. Every woman that walks with God has a story to tell. Every woman that walks with God has a story to tell. The glory is preceded by a story. The glory is preceded by a story, real life story. If you t- it's in my notes. I didn't make this up. If you talk to Sarah, the wife of Abraham, that's the first one on the list. If you talk to Sarah, her husband at that point, Abe, was 100 years old. She was 90. It was impossible. When she got the message that she's going to have a son, she basically said in good old American Hispanic style, no way, Jose. (laughs) No way, Jose. It ain't going to happen. And she even laughed. I'll read you this scripture, Genesis 18, 11 to 12. The way of women, basically your monthly menstrual cycle, she was way past menopausal. You know, forget about it. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so she laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? You must be kidding me. And what God's word never returns to him void. Surprise, surprise. She gets pregnant, and she has a son whose name is to be called Isaac, which means laughter. Hear me, friend. God always has the last laugh. (laughs) She laughed at the word of God. Friend, and I, I said this is a shout out to the ladies, but it applies to all the men. Never, ever take the word of God lightly. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. She had to name him. So every time she called him till she breathed her last, the laughter was echoing back at her. Don't ever laugh at a word from God. Isaac meaning laughter. If you talk to Hagar, that was one of Abraham and Sarah's handmaidens or slave women in those days. If you talk to Hagar, Sarah, because of her disbelief, here's a little teaching point, just a teaching point. We often think, what was the first sin ever committed? You know, not about Lucifer on earth. We think it's disobedience. Actually, it was disbelief. Because she disbelieved the word of God, she disobeyed. Because disbelief is the first sin, the only way you can get saved is by believing. Just a thought. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe the word of God. So Sarah disbelieved. Thought it was impossible.
impossible she could have a child. And so she says to her husband, might as well go and have a child through the young handmaidens, uh, Hagar. And he listened to his wife. She gets pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. She gets pregnant. It's not even Abraham's fault. He was egged on by his own wife, Sarah, who disbelieved at that point. And now she becomes jealous and says, chase that woman out of here. And so, obviously against his own desires, he sends Hagar out. She is, listen, the glory is always preceded by a real life story. She is out on her own, out on a limb in the wilderness, desolate, this is Hagar, despondent for no fault of her own. Sister, you listening? No fault of her own. Desolate, pregnant, despondent. God spoke to her in that place and told her what to do to go back. He was going to direct her steps. Genesis 16, 13. And Hagar called the name, not the name of the place, the name of the Lord that spoke to her. This is one of the many titles or names for God in the Old Testament. Not El-Rohi, R-O-H-I, El-Rohi, R-O-I, which means you, God, see me. Sister, you might feel so down, so bereft of all help on this earth that thinking nobody knows your situation, God sees and knows your situation. El-Rohi. I said in Genesis 16, 13, she called the name of the Lord that spake to her, You, God, see me. If you talk to Hannah, she will tell you, My God answers prayer. So Sarah will tell you first up, Nothing is too hard for God. Hagar will tell you, Even in your wilderness experience, God is still there. Ask Hannah, she will tell you, I worship a prayer answering God. My God answers prayer. Once a year, Alcana, her husband, would bring her with Peninnah, his other wife, who had children. And the Bible says Peninnah used to make fun of Hannah because she was barren, couldn't have children. So when they came for the annual worship to the temple, Hannah would go into the temple and pour her heart out to God. Eli, the high priest, seeing her pray, she was basically silently whispering her prayer. He thought she was drunk. Let me read this to you. 1 Samuel 1, 13, 14, and I'm jumping to 17. 13, Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And she explains to him, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm crying out to God to give me a child. If he gives me a son, I will give the son back to him. Then, verse 17, Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. I want to make a little point here. The Bible says, as she poured out her heart, only her lips moved. You couldn't hear anything audibly. Now there's a time to praise and worship. Remember how the walls of Jericho fell? But sister, and maybe brother too, there are times you're alone in the house, alone in your bedroom, 
and your heart is aching and broken and the tears are rolling down your cheeks. You can't even pray audibly, but God hears your heart cry. God hears the cry of your heart. There's a certain global religion where five times a day their leader cries out over a PA system to call people to prayer. And it's quite loud, especially if you're in those countries. It doesn't matter what your religion, you're still going to hear it. I share this. We used to sing a little chorus. God's not dead, no, he is alive. So for those folk, I say this. My God's not deaf. He's as close as the whisper of his name. He hears your silent heart cry. Hannah will tell you that God, my God, answers prayer. And what happened? She has a son named Samuel, who became perhaps one of the most prolific prophets in the history of the nation of Israel. He was so mightily used by God and dedicated to the service of God that even the king in the day, Saul, was afraid of the prophet Samuel. The king respected and honored the prophet Samuel. If you talk to Ruth, she will tell you it's not over till God says it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. There was a woman named Naomi whose husband was Elimelech. They had two sons, Malin and Kilian. And there was a famine in Israel. And so they leave Israel and go to the neighboring country of Moab. And in Moab, the two sons, Malin and Kilian, marry Moabitess girls. Ophir and Ruth. Ophir is quite a popular name among the Amish Marnat community, right? And then, listen, sister, you say, Pastor Joe, Sister Sarah, you have no idea what I'm going through. Naomi loses her husband. Elimelech dies. Her son Marlon dies. Her son Killian dies. Triple tragedy. We have an expression in English, right? It never rains, but it pours. She faced a triple tragedy. Husband and both sons dead. You'd... You'd have to imagine her saying, there's nothing left for me to live for. And I'm in a foreign land. Sister, somebody's been there before you. And watch the story here. She finds out now that the famine is over in Israel. So Naomi decides to go back. And the two daughters-in-law, Orpher and Ruth, decide to come with her. She says, don't come with me, girls. I don't have any more sons to offer you husbands. So Orpher goes back to Moab. Ruth makes an astounding statement. She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. When we think of the term adoption, usually as parents we adopt a child or adopt a pet, bring them into the family. She adopts Israel. <laughs> she says, like it or not, here I come. Jehovah God, you will be my God. 
And you see the results of her decision. Incredible. Ruth says, I will go where you go. Your God will be my God. Guess what happens? They come back to Israel. The house is in a dilapidated condition. Whatever amount of land they have, the fields are lying fallow. It's just Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth. Who's going to cultivate the place? Who has the money going to come from to fix the place? And so God instructed Moses. For those of you who are well-to-do, land owners and field owners, when it's harvest time, don't clean every ear of corn or all the ears of barley. Leave some back for the poor, the needy, the indigent, the stranger. And so Ruth goes out, some kind of bag in hand, to garner, to collect barley from a field nearby that is left for the poor. Talk about deliberate leftovers. And guess whose eyes should alight on her? The owner of the field, a man named Boaz. Long story short, Boaz marries Ruth. From Ruth gleaning the leftover barley, she becomes the owner of the barley field. Kind of goes in sync with what Pastor Joe was talking about at offering time. Just like that. Overnight, she becomes the owner of the barley fields. You think God's done with her yet? Listen closely. Ruth marries Boaz. They have a son named Obed who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David. That's right. Bang. <laughs> Ruth becomes the direct great-grandmother of King David, of whom blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David. Now here's a thought. In case you thought, I'm pure Caucasian. See, I can get away with anything because I'm in between. I'm, I'm pure African-American. I'm pure Hispanic. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a hybrid. Have you seen a Toyota Prius? I'm the human equivalent. You have options, you see. Don't you prefer seedless watermelon next Sunday at the park, maybe at your picnic? Come on, I like it like that. So, <laughs> options, hallelujah. Now, I didn't say all the bells and whistles, just options. I was being polite about it. She becomes the direct great-grandmother of David, and she wasn't even a Jewess or Jew by blood or by birth. She, she adopted Israel. So don't, look, listen, dear friend, praise God for who, whatever your cultural or ethnic or national background may be. But God is not interested in the color of your skin. He's interested in the color of your heart. Is your heart washed in the blood of Jesus? Now, how do you top Ruth, believe it or not? If you talk to Rahab, 
Now, when we say Rahab in Christian circles, there's two words that follow it. What is it? The prostitute. This is a, please believe it or not, Rahab the prostitute, or old King James says Rahab the harlot. If you talk to Rahab, she will tell you, God can use anything and anyone at any time. Listen, sister, if you were abused as a child or through your lifespan, hurt, molested, it could be to a, to a man too, you know. If you've been abused, taken advantage of, God can use anything and anyone at any time. Now listen to the story of Rahab here in a nutshell. Israel sends two spies to check out Jericho, again to a foreign place, Jericho. And they do their foraging, they're looking around, and they went to stay in the red light area. And that's Rahab's house, the prostitute's house. So happened it was on the city wall by which you could also escape. In fact, that could have been a huge contributing factor to their choice of location. The men of Jericho discover, find out there's two Israeli, Israelite spies in their land. They come searching for them. They find, they heard that they went to Rahab's house. The Bible says, let me read this for you. Joshua chapter 2, verses 6, and I'm going to jump to verse 18. Rahab, when the men of Jericho came to look for the two Israelite spies, Rahab brought them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax. So she was obviously drying out, had spread these out in order on her roof. She put them on, lie down, cover them with the flax so that when the men of Jericho came to find them, they couldn't find them. Their lives were spared thanks to Rahab's quick thinking. Then before they left her house, they said to Rahab, those two spies of Israel, when we come, when Israel comes to this land to conquer it, Bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Take the scarlet cord, they would have found, seen one in a house. Hang this out your window, the outside wall. And, and make sure you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and your whole father's household to your home. In other words, whoever's in this house, their lives will be spared when Israel comes and God gives us the victory. This is reminiscent of the final 10th plague in Egypt where God through Moses tells Israel you slay a lamb, a male lamb without blemish and sprinkle the blood on the two doorposts and the lintels so that at midnight when the angel of death comes by he will pass over you. That's the Passover celebration. And the reason we don't slay a lamb every year like a certain other world religion is because the Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. It's done, taken care of once and for all. So now, she hangs the cord outside her window. When Israel comes, her life and her whole family's life is spared. And guess what happens? We're not done with it. This is why I said you watch Rahab now. They become, they go to Israel. They become part of Israel. Just like Ruth adopted Israel, now they are taken into Israel. I'll prove it to you from scripture. So you think we're done with Rahab. 
Skip over into the New Testament. Now, don't get shocked when I say this. To one of the most boring chapters in the New Testament. What do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? Matthew chapter 1. And Adam begat Seth, and Seth begat Enosh, and Enosh begat him. Dad, Mom, can we skip this chapter, please? I mean, the pronunciation is tough enough, and all these names. Now, watch out. Every word of God is pure. You've got to dig for the nuggets. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Now, all of us have had salmon at some time. We enjoy, my wife and I enjoy eating salmon. But the, how is it spelled? S-A-L-M-O-N. But the L is silent, right? But there's a male name in Israel, S-A-L-M-O-N, where the L is not silent, it's pronounced. In Matthew 1, 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab comes into Israel. She hooks up with a guy named Salmon. They have a child, a son named Boaz, whose son is Obed, whose son is Jesse, whose son is David. Rahab becomes the direct great, great grandmother of King David, after whom Jesus Christ is called the son of David. Isn't that amazing? First a Moabitess, now a lady from Jericho. And if we are honest, most of us, maybe there are some of us who are Jewish by blood and birth, but most of us aren't. Some of us would like to pretend we are. <laughs> but most of us aren't. But look what God does. Rahab will tell you that God can use anyone and anything at any time. If you will permit me to say this, he can take you, sister, no matter how you were ravaged as a girl, or sir, you could have been out doing, you know, your pastor's testimony, doing drugs near suicide, whatever. This, Satan could have ravaged you, but God can take you from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah. If you talk to Esther, she will tell you, God can turn a nobody into a somebody. God can turn a nobody into a somebody. Esther was basically an orphan. He said, Brother Andrew, how do you say that? So now the Jews have a rabbinical work called the Midrash. M-I-D-R-A-S-H. You can check it out online later on. The Midrash is a rabbinical work that helps to interpret some of the silent parts of Scripture from their folklore and tradition. So in the Midrash you read, you find, you learn that Esther's father died before she was born, while her mother was pregnant. Now we know of some cases like that, a tragedy happens and the dad passes away before the child is born. So the child never sets eyes on the dead. And her mother passes away at childbirth. So Esther is basically born an orphan. Now Esther's father who passed away is Mordecai's uncle. Now we've all had cases. So Esther and Mordecai are cousins. I'm sure, you know, especially with the Mennonite families in the area, you can have one cousin who's way older than the other. 
So Mordecai is a lot older cousin than Esther's. And he becomes like her guardian. She becomes his ward. And he trains her up in the word and ways of God. Now, we read about the world's... You, you've heard of Miss Pennsylvania? You know, I've, I've heard of Lancaster Lass. Then there's, uh, there's a farm show, Princesses. And you've got... Uh, Miss Pennsylvania, Miss USA, Miss World, Miss Universe. All this is copycat stuff from the Bible. Because the world's first ever beauty pageant is in the Bible, in the book of Esther. And by the way, that was the Persian Empire. It wasn't a country, it was an empire. Technically, you should call him emperor, not king. And she becomes empress, not just queen. So Esther, an orphan girl, she, at the world's first ever beauty pageant, let me read this, Esther 2.17, and the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen. And then there's an evil, wicked man named Haman who was prime minister in the land. He hated Mordecai, her uncle, because he wouldn't bow to him. He hated the Jewish people, and he wanted to obliterate them. Listen to this about Haman, little teaching tips. He was an Agagite. If you go back to King Saul, God told them to destroy the Amalekites completely. They defeated them but saved some of the choice cattle and spared the life of the king whose name was Agag. Agag Agagite is a descendant of Haman. And Saul was going to spare King Agag. And when Samuel, Samuel, the prophet came, he said, who is this? He said, this is the king. The Bible, and listen, you think this is harsh. Just listen to the end. The Bible says, Samuel the prophet took a sword and said to Agag, as your sword has made many mothers childless, today you, your mother will be childless. The Bible says he hewed Agag in pieces. That sounds so gross, but listen closely. Agag and the uh, Amalekites are a type of the flesh. The picture for you and I is we must slay the flesh completely. So here's the descendant of, here's another way of remembering his name. Look at me. A gag. Haman <laughs> is a descendant of a gag or the Agagites. And he too hates the Jews. And he gets the king to sign an edict that on a certain day every Jew can be slaughtered. Mordecai finds out and he sends a message to his ward Esther who's now empress or queen and says do not think that you will escape by virtue of your position in the palace. And she makes a decision. She says my handmaidens and I, we will fast and pray for three days and I will approach the king because in those days, if you didn't have a pre-scheduled appointment to come before the king's presence, your life was forfeit. And what did Esther say? After three days, I will present my petition to the king. I will go to him personally. And if I perish, I perish. After three days, I'm sure she was bedecked, gorgeous, 
comes in and he is so stunned. Out comes the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? Ask me to the half of my kingdom. It's yours. She says, just come home for dinner. And then she handles it wisely after that. We know the rest of the story. But the point I want to make, listen to this. Ladies, be encouraged. When we hear the term deliverer, we tend by default to only apply it to Moses as the deliverer of Israel from Egypt's bondage. But God raised up Esther as the deliverer of the nation of Israel from Haman the Agagite. Sister, you are just as precious in his sight. And God is no respecter of persons, listen closely, or genders of which there are only two. God is no. So Esther becomes a deliverer to the nation of Israel to save her entire people. Before winding this up, I'd like to go to my own late mother. So my dad was one time the president of the Bombay Dockyard Labor Union. He was a mafia don. If he called, under the British colonialism time, if he ordered a strike, not one crate or container was unloaded from a ship. Power not just the money, power, influence, position. One day he's walking home. He hears a street preacher, street evangelism, sharing salvation. He was raised Roman Catholic, and I really love Catholic. I have a passion for them. He was raised Roman Catholic. He was very religious. He said, I used to, I was a chain smoker. I would have my whiskey neat. But I was so religious. Between my puffs, I would do the rosary. I mean, he, he wanted to do that too, you know. So why do I give up smoking? I just do both. <laughs> He's walking home and he hears the street preacher. He gets radically born again. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to quit your job and preach the gospel. It wasn't an audible voice in his heart. And his answer was, at that time, there were three sons. I'm number seven in a family of nine children. But it so happens I'm the seventh son in succession. After me comes the only girl and one more boy, nine children. An Irish Catholic nun who had met the whole family but not me. You know, they can be a little superstitious. When she saw me the first time, she said, you must be Andrew. And I saw the habit. I said, you must be Mother Virginia. She said, you are the seventh son in succession to open the womb. In Ireland, you cannot get any luckier than that. And she tried to take some luck out of my cheeks. I tell people, listen, I don't know about luck, but I can tell you about the blessings of God. So, he's got only three sons were born. I'm not yet born. He refuses to quit his job. I mean, let's think about it. Not just the money, the position, the power, the clout. And he becomes very ill, goes down to... 97 pounds in weight with chronic bronchial asthma and double pneumonia. My mom used to be a nurse, so she knew the score. They had enough money. The doctor could come home for house visits. She calls the doctor. The doctor checks him, and the Holy Spirit's keeping on saying, will you quit your job and preach the gospel? Well, if I do that, who'll feed my wife and three sons? Who'll feed my wife and three sons? The doctor comes, checks him out. He, before he can leave, he says to my mom, I'm sorry, Mrs. Taylor. I'll give your husband three days to live. 
In those days, they didn't have Kleenexes. They had cotton handkerchiefs. My mother's wiping the tears and the doctor's left, but my dad overheard the doctor. The Holy Spirit says again, will you quit your job and preach the gospel? Well, who'll feed my wife and three kids? Did you hear what the doctor said? Yes. So you tell me, in three days, who'll feed your wife and three sons? You know, sometimes we men are so bullheaded. <laughs> Wives, good time to give your husband an elbow there. <laughs> it was a literal near-death experience to get him. And then he said, yeah, okay, Lord, I'll quit. The moment he made that decision, his friend, Reverend D.S. Paul, I'll tell you the, in, in a moment why, D.S. Paul, is going home by bus. Those were poor old days. Now the economies are booming. There's so many cars, you don't have place to park even in countries like India. But in those days, you just used a public bus. The moment he decided to quit, the, to quit and preach, the Holy Spirit speaks to D.S. Paul. Get off the bus. Go and lay hands on Leslie Taylor. He came home, knocks on the door, my mother still got the handkerchief. Come in, Reverend Paul. Your friend is dying. Sister Taylor, the Holy Spirit asked me to come and pray for Brother Taylor. Now listen, I wasn't yet born. I wouldn't have been born if he didn't obey the Lord. He came and laid hands and prayed for my dad. My dad did not receive a gradual healing. He received an instantaneous miracle in his body. And with a weak hand, he's still 97 pounds. He signed his resignation letter. In about 10 days time, he's walking the streets of Bombay, now it's called Mumbai, with not just a placard of John 3.16, Romans 3.23, four placards with a handheld megaphone, not even battery operated, walking the streets of Bombay, preaching salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and all his former subordinates thought that L.B. Taylor had gone stark raving mad. You can't blame them for thinking that. I was born four sons later. And then we had a visitor when I was 17 years of age for a whole month, Reverend D.S. Paul. You can imagine, by now our circumstances had gotten a little better financially because he didn't have the big job. I never knew that kind of luxury. And my mom said, someone called Reverend Paul for breakfast. Knock on the guest room door. Come in, open the door. Listen to me. This is how I got saved. He's kneeling down praying. Reverend Paul, mom said to come for breakfast. He'd come, eat like a sparrow, hardly say anything, disappear. Somebody call him for lunch. Come in, he's kneeling down praying. Dinner. One day, two days, three days. One week, two weeks, I couldn't handle it anymore. I'm 17, doing my science degree, starting to sprout a monkey's tail starting to argue with the pastors about evolution. And that time this man comes. I couldn't bear it. He was not, listen, he's not one of the fivefold ministry gifts. You know what his ministry was? He was an intercessory prayer warrior. You know what my dad and his colleagues nicknamed him from his initials, D.S. Paul? Don't stop praying, Paul. That's why I told you the full initials. After two weeks, I couldn't bear it. 1 a.m., I'm standing there looking at the ceiling. Now, you listen to me, folk. We talked about if you've had a rough life. I have never in my 66 years, a cigarette has not sat between my lips. I don't know what alcohol is. I've never touched drugs. Not womanized. I knew I was still going to hell. Did you hear me? So for Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two Shoes, 
Jeremiah says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I knew I was going to hell. I thought, I bet you that guy's still praying there. 1 a.m., you know your house in the dark, right? I go there and sure enough, under the guest room door, there's a sliver of light. Gently knocked. 1 a.m. Come in. He's kneeling down praying. I said, Reverend Paul, I want to get saved. Very simple, Andrew. Kneel down and say this prayer. I'm like, please. I'm, I'm thinking. Don't. Please. No, no, no. I know how to pray the sinner's prayer. I can tell other people, my dad's a Pentecostal preacher. Don't go through this again. But to honor him, I knelt down and prayed. He prayed. I followed and I knew I wasn't saved. You know, when sometimes when you're in university, your head, your head gets in the way. I'm like, it can't be so easy. I'd prayed it many times. He perceived by the Holy Ghost that I didn't have the assurance of my salvation. He says, so gracious. You know, the more you, you pray in the spirit, the more tender and pliable and soft you become before God. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. He said, come to the living room. Kneel at the coffee table. Raise your hands and start praising Jesus. Listen closely to this. It's going to help, I think, a lot of people hearing this. I raised my hand and started thanking Jesus for having saved me, even though I know I'm not saved. But I know who Jesus is. And suddenly I wasn't praying in English. It even spooked me a little bit. And now I'm a Pentecostal preacher's son, but you know, I hadn't had the experience. So I stopped it. The Bible says the spirit is subject to the prophet. I stopped it. But I wanted to keep praying. So the next three words that came out of my mouth were Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then my collegiate university mind thought, wait a minute. What you just spoke, I know that there's non-Christian people who pray in tongues. That's not of God. Then there are just people who just talk mumbo-jumbo just to impress somebody. It wasn't either for me. If the only words that came out after that was Jesus, it had to be the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues. But the Holy Spirit, Andrew, cannot come into you if you're not clean. That means you are clean. That means your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus because that's the Holy Ghost. So you are saved. I lifted my hands, hallelujah, and boom, I went on worshiping God. That's how I got saved through D.S. Paul. Don't stop praying, Paul. God used him to raise my dad from his deathbed and to raise me from my spiritual deathbed. So when dad resigned his job, before I was born, there was the three boys. Suddenly, you have to go and rent a place. No more huge quarters, no more big paycheck. One morning, the three boys came to my mom, tugging on her skirt. Look, folk, you don't really know what poverty is in the U.S. I tell the Aussies the same thing. Uh, really, real poverty. I mean, tugging at her skirt. Mommy, mommy, we are hungry. Nothing for breakfast. Not a morsel of food in the house. She said, come, hold hands. Let's sing the doxology. You've heard, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What blessings? There's nothing in the house. They finish the four lines. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They open the door. The town Scrooge, Mr. Barden, has sent his butler with bread and milk. Now, some of you younger people may not catch on to this, but the older ones. In those days, the milkman would deliver your bottle of milk at your doorstep every morning. And the baker would deliver one or two loaves, depending on whatever your order was on a daily basis. 
the Scrooge's butler said, Ma'am, my master's wife is out of town for a week, so we have an oversupply of milk and bread. He said, go and take it to the preacher's house. Right after they sang the doxology, God used a raven to bring meat to Elijah. He used a Scrooge to send milk and bread to this minister's house. My mom used to say from Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I am old, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And then I'm born and we moved to the big smoke, the city of Bangalore where Anne has a project now. My mom was ambitious in a proper sense, like I see that in you for the vision of LICC. She wanted her sons to go to private elite school, Protestant. She met with the British principal who was like an Anglican ordained man, but an educator. And she told him she'd like her four boys, because the older ones had graduated, I was the youngest of the four now to be admitted. He took a memo from his desk, admit the four Taylor boys. Then she said, Reverend Thomas, it'll be difficult for us to manage the tuition, you know, it's a big school. He took the memo back and put hyphen in full caps, F-R-E-E. -E. From grade four to grade 11, those days there was no grade 12. I'm so old. <laughs> Complete scholarship, not because I was super smart, just a full scholarship, everything paid for. And she would say, and I remember mom leading us in this at house devotions from Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything, is there anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question because nothing is too hard for our God. Then I was eight years old. Andrew, Becky, Paul, the only girl and the youngest brother, 864. They're both in Australia now. The dad is out preaching, away out of town. And mom used to tell us bedtime stories, all from the Bible. I used to be, I, I, I was touched by something else you shared, Pastor Joe. Those young children are not just, just made to be happy. They're being taught, taught the word of God. My mother taught us the Bible stories. I used to be surprised when I went to the Sunday school locally that other kids didn't know about David and Goliath and Daniel and the lions. Daniel. She wrecked me. I, I knew them all from my mom. So after lights out, dad's out of town. The three little ones would sleep on mattresses on the floor in the same room. But we would first come around mom's bed. She would tell us bedside stories. And one night, she came to the crucifixion. I'm only eight. Crucifixion. And in the dark, I choked up. I ran to a corner, trying to be more secluded. And I sobbed. I muffled my sobs. And I came back and acted like nothing happened. I got away with it. The next night, I said, Mom, can you tell us about the crucifixion again? And as she proceeded to get to the crucifixion, I don't know how much an eight-year-old can comprehend. I choked up again. I ran to the corner. Second night, my sister heard me sobbing. She said, Mom, Mom, Andrew's crying. She said, come here, my son. Listen, ladies and dads, men. She said, why are you crying, my son? And I was only eight. I said, Mom, how could they do such a cruel thing to Jesus? And she said, and I quote, God 
had on this boy's life. God has his hand on this boy's life. Mom, sister, sir, you think God cannot speak through me. It doesn't have to be prefaced with thus saith the Lord like Isaiah and Jeremiah. It doesn't have to have a quaver of the hand or a quiver of the voice. Just a statement of declaration. She may have forgotten it, but I never did. And finally, when I was 12, Pastor Joe, after this, he's 12 years old. Our dining table was like a ping pong table. Nine kids, dad and mom, there's a soccer team right there. We literally used to put books for the net and play ping pong on that table. I was 12 years old and we had devotions every night. And that night she read from John chapter 1 where Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And mom said, after that reading, I named this boy, and there's all older brothers, I named this boy Andrew. So that when y'all grew up, if some of you had not yet received Christ, he would bring you to Jesus. Another sure word of prophecy. Thank you, LICC. Pastor Joe, back to you. Hey, this is Pastor Joe. And before you go, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to be 100% sure that heaven will be your eternal home. It's very simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you mean business with God, he means business with you. I want you to pray this very simple but powerful prayer and mean it with all your heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. I believe that you were crucified and God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are the Son of God. I repent of all my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I give you my life. Do something with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because you just prayed that prayer. The next step is to find a good, strong, local church. If you live anywhere near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to join us at Life in Christ every Sunday at 10 a.m. We have some of the best people on planet Earth. We love you, God bless you, and have a wonderful day. listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast. Help us to continue to share the message of faith with those all over the world. Visit licchurch.com forward slash give to partner with us today.